get my opinion of it. I think it was f***ing 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 you live from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey on the MTR Radio Network. Once again, the MTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Welcome aboard, everybody. I'm fresh back from my trip to Florida, checking out some spring training down in Port St. Lucie, New York Mets, opening day coming just a couple days away. And you know, I'm sure you guys are ready. You know, if you're a baseball fan, you got to love it right now. This is, like I said a thousand times, the only time of the year where you really feel that your team is definitely in it, no matter who you are, whether you're the Houston Astros or the Detroit Tigers and everybody in between, you feel like you got a shot right now as a fan. And obviously the players, the teams, all feel they have a chance to do something right now. And uh, yeah, I got a chance to spend a, about a week, a little more than a week, down in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida. I uh, got to see a couple games with the Mets, uh, some, some mingling, some talking, and uh, got some stuff lined up for the next couple of weeks, which is going to be phenomenal. And, yeah, if you're a baseball fan, you don't want to miss it. But uh, obviously opening day for the Mets next Monday. They play the San Diego Padres. I'll be up there at City Field. So next time we're on the air, next Thursday, we'll knock some stuff out. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I do want to start off talking a little bit about the Mets, and I do have a couple uh, phone interviews lined up today. We'll be speaking with uh, former pitcher J- Jason Bergman, who is uh, currently still uh, still trying to throw. Um, he'll be calling in about 5.15. Jose Guzman, former pitcher for the Cubs, at about 5.30. I also pre-recorded an interview with uh, MLB Trade Rumors founder Tim Durkis. And uh, that's going to be played sometime in the second hour, which is going to be phenomenal. I said a lot of stuff going on. Passball show, MTR Radio Network, of course. This is John Pielli. We're going to knock some more stuff out. Uh, but with with the Mets, what did I really see over the last uh, last week or so? I, I don't think I saw anything kind of groundbreaking. I think I, if you understand what the, the direction that this team is going in, I think it's a situation where, listen, they are not expected to do a lot this year. They're rebuilding Sandy Alderson's putting his uh, stamp on a team. I, I've said all along, what is his stamp going to be? Obviously, a lot right now is going to have to do with what happens with guys like uh, you know, uh, Zach Wheeler and Travis Darno, And those are, those are things that we're not really going to get that much of a chance to uh, see right away since both players are going to start the season in the minor league. So 
what did I see? Listen, you know, the Mets, I think, probably have more of a defined uh, more of a defined outfield situation right now than they did before. And I'm not saying it's up there with any, any other teams that are going to be competitive this year. But I think coming at the end of last season, going into right now, I do think that you have a better idea of what to expect uh, with the Mets outfield. They do have, in my opinion, a starting outfield. And probably not what maybe a lot of fans anticipated coming into spring training. They really started this, uh, this offseason, Lucas Duda, Mike Baxter, Kirk Neuenheis. Uh, right now, Duda is probably the only starter at this point. And, you know, Baxter's going to end up doing what he's expected to do, be kind of a fourth outfielder, a guy off the bench, you know, doing that whole thing. And uh, Neuenheis, I, I would expect, would make the team, but I don't see him starting right now. So I think that's something that has to be looked at right now. Jordani Valdespin, love him or hate him, has played his way and is going to get the opportunity to play center field for the New York Mets this year. And he's done a good job this spring. He's he certainly worked on it. He, he works some counts a lot better. He seems to be a little more of a contact hitter as opposed to swing or miss. He's hit for some power. He's shown that he can play some defense. And a guy who has not really played the outfielder really before last season is uh, doing a pretty good job in the outfield and does deserve a chance to be in that opening day lineup Monday against the San Diego Padres with Edison Volquez pitching. The other guy that has done a good job and he was one of uh, Sandy Alderson's minor league contract signings, real minimum risk type of player, and that's Marlon Byrd. Marlon Byrd's going to be out there playing right field, and he has worked his way onto the team. And a couple things that you find interesting about Marlon Byrd is he, he really kind of get, had a little gut check this year uh, after you know getting busted with the PED thing, getting released by the Boston Red Sox after he was traded from the Cubs to the Red Sox on the third year of his lucrative contract he signed with the Cubs. He's gone, he's gone out there and kind of done a little soul-searching. He went out there, he played winter ball. Not just a little bit of winter ball, but he went out there and played a full off-season's worth of, of winter ball, went out there and did a good job, got himself a contract with the Mets, certainly has had the right attitude this spring, and has gone out there and has hit. And I don't know if this is a 30-home run guy, the guy that we saw maybe a little while ago with the Mets, but I do think this is a situation or spot where I think he can get a chance to play and maybe exceed some expectations. Now, is he going to be a guy that's going to carry this team? No, absolutely not. And I don't think anybody's expecting that to be the case. But Marlon Bird uh, can prove himself as an everyday player again, and he may get that opportunity with the New York Mets. So uh, great job by Marlon Bird, not only getting himself a spot on this team, but a very honest and fair chance to play every day for the New York Mets. So that's something that has to be looked at. You know, keep up the good work if you're Marlon Bird, yada, yada, yada. But the Mets outfield does look a little different. Lucas Duda, like I said, is going to be out there playing left field. He is, he is hitting the ball very well. And I'm sure a lot of Mets fans, Mets blog, you know, the whole thing has have, have certainly been on top of it when it comes to what has happened with uh, Lucas Duda. But he's hitting the ball very well. Kind of giving fans, maybe people that cover the team, a little bit more hope that maybe – he can go back and be that type of player that he was at the end of 2011. He had a tough season last year, and and for maybe you know for his own uh, for his own uh, admittance, maybe not his best effort. Maybe he got a little uh, maybe he got a little bit uh, a little bit too uh, complacent, you know, being an everyday the everyday right fielder. But certainly the right field walls at City Field didn't help him too much. He could benefit from playing in uh in left field where i think he's certainly a lot more comfortable and he just seems a lot more uh 
relaxed at the plate. And I think it's something that he's going to have to look at and continue to move forward with and you know, hopefully be an important bat in the middle of that lineup. And you know, the Mets are going to need him. And, you know, Colin Calgo came over in the trade with the Oakland Athletics for Jeffrey Marte. Uh, he's a guy that I like. He's a guy that uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks loved a couple years ago and kind of used him as a centerpiece to get Trevor Cahill. And then, he, of course, uh, Calgill didn't get a lot of playing time last year because of the emergence of Josh Reddick and Jonas Jonetis Cespedes. And I think it's a situation where he is over with the Mets, maybe feeling like he's got a chance to play. And I think Calgill is kind of that fourth outfielder with maybe Newenheis, Baxter kind of on the, uh, the, uh, the outside looking in. But I, I do think the Mets outfield is a little more defined than it was before. And I think that's a, a very good job for them. And I think they should uh, you know, kind of uh, keep going with that. But we're going to put that on hold. We're going to take in this phone call from uh, Jason Bergman, former pitcher for the Nationals. Uh, Jason, you there, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Hey. All right. Yeah, sorry about that, man. How, how, how's it now? All right, uh, I can hear fine. All right, cool, man. Yeah, actually, you raised the volume a little too high, so I apologize. No problem. No, so uh, so Jason, man, let's uh, let's let's start out, man. Uh, let let the listeners know what you're up to now, and then your you know your ambitions and getting back on a major league mound. Sure. Well, um, you want to talk about that now? Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Let's go. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's see. Now I live in Austin, Texas, and uh, I've been working out every day. Uh, a throwing program with some other guys who are former major leaguers, former minor leaguers looking to get back in as well. Um, since we haven't been picked up and we're still free agents, we, uh, we just go up to the local high school who has a first-class facility, and we get to do our throwing program, and then afterwards, you know, go to the gym and uh, work out every day, pretty much treat it like spring training. Yeah, now, uh, let, let's, let us know a little bit. How's your, how's your arm going? How's, uh, you know, how, how's your fastball? Are you kind of getting yourself back to where you need to be? Uh, I'm right where I need to be right now. Awesome. Uh, like I said, we've been kind of treating this just like spring training. Um, you know, in the event that some team does call and says, hey, we need you to camp tomorrow, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. Um, I know camp's winding down, and the likelihood of that is, is not great, but we still keep our, our optimism, and um, I feel fantastic. We've been long tossing every day, uh, pitching off the mound, throwing to hitters. Um, I've had scouts come look at me and then the guys I throw with and uh, my velocity is right where it should be in the, in the low low 90s. Um, I think if I hump up, I could probably you know hit the mid-90s like I used to. So physically, I feel fantastic. I feel great. I've uh, gotten my wake-up call since I haven't been in spring training. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've hit the gym a little bit harder, more consistently, uh, trying to keep my body in great shape. And I'm actually in better shape now than I would say in the last seven years or so, the last over the last two years, I've taken good, good, really good care of myself. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, man. Now, as as you're as you're like looking looking through things, do you see a lot of scouts out while you're you're doing the the, uh, the throwing and stuff like that? Do you see scouts from uh, professional teams? Uh, we've we've thrown for a couple. Um, do we see them? I mean, only if they're we invite them to come out, and hopefully they'll come see us. Uh, you know, this is the kind of time of the year where teams are whittling down their roster to their twenty fives. And, uh, you know, I understand that there's a, there's actually, this is the worst time to get signed. Uh, just because teams are not looking to sign people, they're actually subtracting right now. And, and that's just the business of, of where it is right now. Um, that doesn't distract us or in any way make us think that we can't get signed. 
if we're the better player, you know, the teams will obviously realize that and make room. Um, and that's what spring training is usually about. Yeah, essentially right now, I mean, you're just looking for somebody to see you throw and, you know, hopefully find a fit somewhere. Now, over the last couple of seasons, you kind of got a chance to move around a little bit. You obviously started out in the Montreal Expos organization. You followed the team over to Washington, got some major league experience there. The last couple of years, you've been in an Oakland organization, a little bit with uh, Colorado Springs last year, and a little bit in the independent league. Tell us about the last couple of years and, uh, you know, whether it's been kind of a trying experience for you. Well, trying experience understates it. Um, it's really been disappointing. Uh, going from where I was with Washington and uh, being up and down for really six seasons, pitching at the major league level, um, you know, it's all about staying there. And, uh, you know, I really thought that once the 2010 came around and I was on the roster and, and ready to move forward and they, they let me go 10 days into the season, I thought that was, you know, I, I wish I had done more. I wish there was more to do, and uh, I guess it was just time to mutually part, and which we did. We did. Uh, I really did feel that the grass would be greener on the other side. After spending that much time in one organization, you kind of wonder what's out there, and I signed with the Red Sox. And things really just didn't go my way after that, and it, it was unfortunate because I really didn't think that the grass was any greener. It, it really, I really kind of found myself wishing that I was back with, with the Nationals. But uh, after spending time with the A's and, and getting myself back into good shape and everything, like I said, it was a wake-up call. And since then, I've t- you know really strived to keep myself in great physical shape, um, and, and really you know just doing everything I can to, to stay in the game. Now, very true, man. Once again, it's just John Pialli. I'm here with Major League pitcher Jason Bergman. Now, uh, you know, did you ever hit a point where you realized, let's say, like 2011, maybe into 2012, that you had to change anything? Or did you kind of keep the same approach as you're trying to battle your way back into the major leagues? Well, I mean, basically, it's about getting your opportunity. And once you get that opportunity, making the most of it. Um, after 2011, when I got let go by the, the Red Sox in camp, uh, you know, I kind of, I was, it was the first time I didn't have a job. And I was like, well, I don't even know what to do. It's, it's been like nine years straight going to camp or, or doing something. And, and this was the year that I was like, okay, I'm actually watching opening day on TV from my couch. This is not right. This is not the way it should be. Um, so really applying myself after that to get back somewhere. Uh, I had to take a role that I really didn't want to do. I had to go back into starting when I was a reliever. Uh, I didn't prepare myself well enough. I think after that season, it was like, what did I just – I just wasted a year. I really wasted a year of my career. And uh, last year I really got back to where I wanted to be and, and physical shape and, and throwing the ball and, and the mental side of the game and just having everything in the right frame of mind. And once I went to independent ball, I realized that, you know, you know, we got to start really turning it on, impressing people so I can get out of independent ball and get back into having a chance at the major leagues. And I did. I got signed by the Rockies, went to AAA, and, and started off all right, hit a rough patch and finished really strong. I was really happy going into this offseason with the way I threw last year to move forward. All right, I want to get into something I think is pretty interesting. You you hit, let, let's say, you, you finished pitching with the Colorado organization at the end of 2012. Obviously, you're granted free agency because of your uh, your, your past experience. Um, what what kind of uh, routine do you get into once you know, you know you're kind of auditioning for all teams? You're kind of looking for somebody to have interest in you. So what what's the approach after, let's say, like last season ends as you're looking to maybe latch onto a team? Uh, well, I mean, there's no real approach. I mean, I, I guess what, what I did 
is I took some time off. Uh, when you throw for so long and you can keep your body in shape, you, you break down, you wear down the correct your body rest a little while. Uh, so I pretty much rested uh, from from early September to right around mid-October. Um, and then I hit the gym every day. It was like as soon as I felt like going to the gym, it was every day uh, pretty much pretty much until now. I, I've gone six, six days a week, five days a week, um, running, throwing. I started throwing in, in mid-December uh, just to stay ahead of it. And down here in Texas, it's a little bit warmer. Um, so we had the opportunity to throw, and we've been throwing. We've been long tossing. There's other people in the same situation as me. So we have the opportunity to just kind of band together and, and do this as a, as a group. And that way, you know, you know, we're on the same boat. We, we can long toss together. We have the same arm strength. We have the same general ideas of what free agency is and, and how to go about it and how to keep your body in shape. So, uh, you know, having a, a little bit of a semi-support system, if you will, um, it's been really good this offseason. I think we're all hoping to get picked up and uh, half expecting to, but it's not the way it's turned out. So, uh, you know, there's other ways to get back into it and get back to independent ball or what, what it would be. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with Jason Bergman. Now, you know, what, what, I, I'm, I'm confident things are going to get better for you. You know, you're, you're throwing the ball well, particularly if you're hitting the ball, you know, hitting you know, your fastball in the mid-90s and locating it. You're gonna you're gonna latch on with a team soon, but let's talk about some you know maybe some some brighter spots early on in your career. You obviously went to you know you're a Manalpin guy. You went to uh, went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the whole process of being drafted when you're taken by the Montreal Expos in the 2002 draft. Was it something you anticipated and expected, or you know how did that really turn out for you? I, I guess it's tough to expect that. You know, I've been told that I was on a lot of teams' radar. Uh, and I was actually told that I could go anywhere from the ninth round to the 42nd round from different teams. So, you know, it was a broad <laughs> range of, of where to expect myself to go. But, uh, uh, you know, I just sat there and I listened, and I had been on the phone with some teams. One team wanted to take me to the ninth. It didn't, didn't work out. Um, I heard from some other teams saying, if you're there in the 15th, we're going to think about taking you. Um, and then I was actually negotiating with one team, the Royals, about being picked in the 11th round. And I was like, all right, well, you draft me, we'll work something out. And I was listening on the radio because then the, the MLB radio was the only way of, of having a major MLB news, uh, not as it's uh, TV stuff. But I was listening, and I heard my name, but it was right before the Royals. And I was like, what? I had to actually replay it to understand <laughs> that I got drafted by the Expos. And I had no correspondence at all with the Expos. I had no idea they had any interest in me. And, that's that's it was quite a shock to me, but it, it worked out and I signed my contract, went to short season A, and uh, started my career with the uh, the Montreal Expos organization. Now, were you a little disappointed as you moved forward that you didn't get to make your debut in Montreal? That the team had moved to Washington. You know, my my major league debut was against the Cardinals in RFK Stadium for the Washington Nationals, and I could not imagine being any other place. It was it was unbelievable. It was RFK Stadium. It wasn't Yankee Stadium or anything. But for me, that was that was my my life. My my dream was getting there in any way, shape, or form. Right. So, being able to step into a major league game, and I actually came in right after Mike Stanton, who was you know formerly of the New York Yankees, who I watched growing up. So coming in after him, <laughs> uh, it was a thrill. It was unbelievable. My legs were shaking. I was, I was running out the field and, and having that major league debut. You know, knowing that this is what 
my whole life built up to. It, it didn't matter where it was, but that's that's what it was for me. So I would never change it for anything. Yeah, no question. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with Jason Bergman. Now, throughout throughout your major league career, of course, you had a chance in, to pitch in uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and a little bit in uh, in, in uh, 2010, all with the Washington Nationals. So far, as a major league pitcher. I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit. I didn't hear what you said. Now, like through your career, you know, your pitching career in the major leagues, what would you consider your best moment has been so far? Uh, I, I got to be honest, being in a major league uniform every day is a, is a great experience. And every day you have to look up and see the fans that are looking at you and cheering for you and taking some of that home with you every day and saying, this is a great opportunity for me. This is, this is my life. And, and I don't know how many single moments there were. Uh, I didn't play for a very good team, so we weren't in pennant races. Um, I did have an opportunity to throw a no-hitter. didn't quite make it the full distance, but it was a good game. Um, but, you know, just, just looking there and seeing my name at the bottom line sometimes, whether it was a win or a loss, you know, I was in the major leagues, and I think any time that I step back now and say, hey, look, I was a major league pitcher, and I still can be. I think about that every morning when I wake up. So it was just a thrill, the whole ride, and I uh, look to keep keep pushing forward to get it again. Yeah, no question. And you are in the record books, which I'm sure you're aware of. You're, uh, you have, uh, in 2008, the most at-bats in a season with an on-base percentage of zero. Well, if they signed me to be a hitter, I would have put more time <laughs> into it. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate. You know, I found myself going against a lot of top-notch pitchers and Guys like Lincecum and, and Cole Hamels. And, you know, it just seemed like every time I went out there, I was going against a guy who was striking out 200 and winning Cy Youngs. And that was a tough, tough deal. But I got to tell you, I think my first at bat of the season, I had a low line drive to right field, and Jeff Jenkins dove and caught it, and it completely ruined my season. <laughs> it absolutely did, man. But, yeah, listen, man, I, uh, what do you expect? Are you, uh, are you looking to, uh, to pitch for anybody now? Are you uh, in a situation where anybody's looking to pick you up? Yeah, that's it. I mean, anybody who, who wants to come see me throw right now, I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, the, the, the business of free agency is, is obviously a tight one, and it's not something any free agent likes. But, you know, I'm willing to do whatever I can to get back to the level I was formerly at, and I feel like I am just as good now as I was then. In fact, I've probably learned more from the mental side of it. So I feel like I'm a better player now, a smarter one at that. Nah, no question about it. Listen, Jason, I want to wish you the best of luck, and uh, I want to get you back on the show once you lash out with a team. We'll talk about you know how things are going on, and um, I definitely expect to, to see you back in the major leagues, man. Keep up the good work, and you know, like I said, best of luck to you. No problem, John. I'd be happy to. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Right, bye. Yeah, that was Jason Bergman. Uh, he's he's uh, currently looking for work right now, but uh, you know the guy's throwing the ball pretty well. Um, he says a couple independent league teams were looking at him. I would expect to see him uh, get at least a legitimate chance to pitch again, at least on a minor league level. So, uh, Jason Bergman, good job. Uh, thanks for uh, definitely having some time today. But, um, listen, we're going to take our first, uh, our first break. And uh, I uh, do want to just hopefully I do this right. And, of course not. But um, we're, we're going to uh, take a quick break, man. I'm going to throw up this, uh, this thing over here, and then we'll be back with a lot more going on. Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network.
Welcome back, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network, the MTR Radio Network, and uh, definitely a good spot there with Jason Bergman. We're we're waiting on our next spot that we got going on here. Um, want to want to just finish off my talk of what I was uh, discussing with the Mets. Uh, listen, I I told you before that I had them, you know, sixty nine and ninety three this year in my thirty to one MLB countdown, which I'm going to get into a little bit in the second hour. Talk about some sleeper teams. Talk about some teams that I think uh, people are just uh, a little too hyped up on. And, uh, you know, listen, man, I, I, I think you just got to be realistic when it comes to looking at the New York Mets and what to expect out of them this season. You know, it's a, it's a situation where, listen, it's not that they're terrible. It's not that they can, you know, they're going to be god-awful. They're not the Houston Astros right now. They're not the Miami Marlins. Hopefully they could finish better than those two teams when it comes to, you know, the respectability in Major League Baseball. They, they just need a lot of things to go right. And if you heard scouts and – Listen, I don't always agree with the scouts and what uh, insiders and people from other organizations and one person familiar with the source of the information. You know what I'm getting at, the stupid sources crap. But, you know, when it comes to what you really hear, the Mets really are going to need a ton of stuff to go right to be uh, not only competitive, but to be 500. I mean, they're going to need to get you know, very good starting pitching. And, you know, everybody's talked about how the Mets, one of their strengths is the Mets, the, uh, their starting rotation. And I, I just don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I think it's good. I think they could pitch well. I think they could go out there and get the job done. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't look at them as being, let's say, a, a phenomenal starting rotation. Right now, it's, it's led, they're led by Jonathan Neese. And, and, you know, more more power to Jonathan Neese. He's starting opening day. He has done a great job over the last couple years. I like the way he finished last season. But 
uh, to me, he's not an ace. And the Mets right now don't have a ready ace. Some people say, and a lot of people believe, that Matt Harvey's going to be that guy. And it's fair. It's very fair to say that Matt Harvey can be an ace. Is he going to be it right now? Uh, the answer is we're not really sure. And uh, Matt Harvey getting the, you know, the start in the second game of the season probably is a lot to show as far as what he's, uh, what he, where he's come from last year, being a guy that uh, probably felt in his own mind that he should have made the team, ends up not making the team, making only 10 starts last year and this year. Now he is in, you know, where, where's he at? He, he's, a, he's a bona fide number two starter, probably a guy who is on the peripheries of being an ace when it comes to the New York Mets over the next couple seasons. But I, I do think that you have to wait for that to happen. That has to kind of work itself on its own. You can't rush it out there. You can't go out there and say, hey, this guy's going to all of a sudden be Clayton Kershaw or Tim Lincecum or Justin Verlander. you got to let him kind of earn his stripes. And he's going to get that chance. He's getting the ball every fifth day. And that's one thing you can hang your hat on as far as being excited you know, as a New York Mets fan. But at the same time, how many other things have to go right? Johan Santana has to appear on the mound. Not only appear on the mound, but pitch well. And the Mets need something from Dylan G, who's a guy who was injured last year. You want to make sure that he is throwing the ball as well as, as he's expected. And he's looked pretty good so far. But where do, what do you get after the rest of the rotation? You got Sean Markham. You got Jeremy Hefner. Two guys that you're probably penciling in as fourth and fifth starters and are both out of action right now, are both likely to start the season on the disabled list. And, you know, it's, it, it's a situation where I don't think the Mets' starting rotation is as much of a strength right now as a lot of people were saying it was before. And they're going to need, listen, they're going to need Markham to contribute. They're going to need Hefner to pitch even better than he did last year. And they're going to need a bullpen, which I do think is improved. I like the guys in the bullpen this year better than I like the makeup of the guys that were out there last year. I think they're going to get more out of LaTroy Hawkins and Scott Atchison and guys like that than they got out of Ramon Ramirez and John Roush and even Frankie Francisco. So I think these are guys I think those are I think those are guys that are going to contribute. But at the same time, you got a pitching staff against the other pitching staffs not only in the division but in the National League. And I don't think the Mets are anywhere near elite when it comes to that. And I do think fans that are that do want to be a little higher on them, they want to say this team can win in the high 70s, low 80s, maybe mid 80s. I do think they're going to need a ton of things to go right. And right right now, I just don't see it. And you know, I told you that I got 69 to 93. I think that they will probably, and this is my opinion, I think they're going to start slow this year. Last couple of years under Terry Collins, they got off to good starts. And they deserve all the credit for that. Terry Collins deserves credit for getting the team out of the gate good. But I, I could see this team you know, falling behind early, maybe picking up his stride, maybe midseason, towards the end, maybe finishing strong, but still losing a lot of games and not being anywhere near postseason contention. But I do like the way the outfield situation has, you know, has, has turned out. And it's, it's just a spot where I, I just think they're going to be a bottom part of the National League uh, situation. Um, and, and I just don't think it's a, I don't think it's a spot where they, they need to uh, they, they, they can really do anything right now to overtake the Braves or the Phillies or the Nationals. I mean, it's too tall of an order. But I will say 
looking at what happened last year with the Oakland Athletics, looking at what happened last year with the Baltimore Orioles. Yes, there were things that happened with those teams that led to certain amount of things going right for them to not only be competitive but to be postseason teams last year. Can the Mets be that? Well, listen, it starts with a phenomenal bullpen, which the Baltimore Orioles had. The Oakland Athletics had a very good bullpen last year. And it starts out, it ends with play at home. And, you know, the Mets last year did not play very good at Citi Field. They, they didn't use Citi Field as the home field advantage that it should have been. And I think that's, that's something that has to be looked at. I mean, the Orioles and the Athletics last year were getting a phenomenal setup of walk-off wins. The Mets didn't really do that. I mean, they only had a handful last year. So, you know, I mean, that's the kind of uh, routine or the kind of spot that you're looking for them to do. But right now, I mean, I have no confidence that they're going to go out there and get a bunch of walk-off wins. And they're going to need that. They're going to need starting pitching to be better than what we think it is. Not what we think it is, but better than that. The bullpen's got to be what I said and probably better. And offensively, listen, I think they took some steps by putting together what is an outfield right now. I feel confident that they have three major league players starting in the outfield right now. And that's Marlon Byrd in right, Jordani Valdespin in center, and Lucas Duda in left. I think those guys can play major league caliber. Now, are we talking about defense, offense? I think they can play major league caliber offense. But looking at it, I mean, I don't think it's going to be dominating. And we're going to, take, we're going to uh, put that on hold. We're going to speak right now with former Major League pitcher Jose Guzman. Jose, John Pialli, Pest Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. All right, thank you. Hey, no problem, man. Listen, uh, I told you I'd give you a little chance to talk about your foundation and the stuff that you're doing with that. Okay. All right, shoot, man. Well, we're ready. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I uh, uh, work there. Uh, uh, normally, I have a, a foundation. It's uh, the Colin Guzman 23 Foundation, and it's uh, for Alzheimer's. Uh, the reason I'm doing that foundation is because uh, my mom uh, died about five years ago. She died from uh, Alzheimer's. So I decided to uh, do something for Alzheimer's, but not only uh, to get all the people to try to do everything, but get myself involved uh, from the beginning, I always when I have a, uh, I always have a big event in October. I've uh, been able to be uh, very involved and trying to help the people. Now nah, that's awesome, man. Now, now is, is there a you got a website or something somewhere uh, the listeners can take take a look at it? Sure, yes, at Guzman uh, Twenty Three Foundation, and uh, uh, you can go on the website. And uh, we always, like I said, we always have a, a big celebrity uh, golf tournament in uh, October uh, fourteen this year. 2013, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, all day and it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and we have music at the tournament. We have a uh, live auction and selling auction, and uh, we got a lot of people that uh, people can come on from out of town and enjoy the tournament. That's awesome, man. Once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with former major league pitcher Jose Guzman. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, about about your playing career. Tell us a little bit about starting out. You know your success. You know as a pitcher. Tell, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe something I didn't know about your uh, your major league career. Okay, well, uh, uh, I came in in uh, 1985. I was uh, 21, and uh, as a rookie, uh, I also was able to start the uh, opening day in 1986. Uh, uh, our starting pitcher was uh, 
uh, Charlie Hoff, as you know, the knuckleballer, and uh, he got hurt, and I was able to start that game and win it against uh, uh, Toronto actually in 1986. Uh, also, I got hurt in 89, and I was out for two years. In 91, uh, uh, I always say that was the big year because uh, after being out for two years, in 91, uh, I was released in the spring training, but I came back in May, and uh, that year after I was released, I was able to come back, and uh, uh, I was come back during the year. And after playing with the Rangers for seven years, uh, I went and played with Chicago Cubs. I signed a, a four-year contract with the Cubs, and uh, the first year with the Cubs, I was uh, one out away uh, for a no-hitter pitching against uh, Atlanta Braves, and uh, all these picks and take the no-hitter, but I was able to uh, get the next guy out and uh, win the game one nothing. So uh, then uh, my career ended after uh, Chicago. I got hurt again, and I was able to come back at uh, 100%. So. I decided that that was enough. Yeah. Now, I, I, obviously, you got a chance to pitch, you know, quite a while for Texas, parts of about six seasons, you know, not, you know, not counting your time in the minor leagues. Uh, you also got to play for Bobby Valentine. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like playing for uh, or pitching for Bobby Valentine. Well, uh, for for Bobby Valentine, was uh, you know, it was great to pitch, uh, play for him. Uh, I know it's uh, uh, Bobby. Uh, a lot of people say we have a lot of. Uh, Controversy with Le- uh, with Bobby because the way he was, but uh, one thing I can say that uh, he stuck with me, especially in my uh, 1986 year when uh, Bobby had a good year. I was nine and fifteen that year, and uh, then in '87 uh, I wasn't pitching that well in the beginning. He sent me to the bullpen. So uh, what I can say that about about Bobby Valentine, I really appreciate that he gave me the opportunity to be able to pitch and uh, not send me to the minor leagues, but to keep the faith of me and, and make me a better pitcher when he gave me the chance, I was able to mature and make the adjustment and come back and be a better pitcher. Yeah, and you, and you, you stuck in that rotation for quite quite a while up until uh, you know you, up until 1992. You had the you had the year where you won 16 games. Tell us a little bit about that season. How how it was like? You know, it looks like everything was kind of clicking on all cylinders for you in the 1992 season, which turns out to be your last in Texas. Yeah, well, that year was my uh, pretty much my career year, and uh, like I said again, uh, after being uh, released in 1991 and, and come back again and be a uh, comeback pitcher of the year, then in 1992, uh, after being out for so long and having a, a half great season, 91, being able to have a complete season and uh, show everybody that was healthy, because uh, it's, it's very tough when uh, you have a surgery and trying to come back and. Uh, I know a lot of people lost a lot of hope in yourself, but that's one thing you have to put in the side. You have to believe in yourself and not do it for other people. You have to do it for yourself. In 92, uh, I kind of proved to, to myself that I was able to come back 100% and have one of my best uh, or the best years that I ever have in my career. Yeah, absolutely, man. And once again, this is John Piala. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Jose Guzman. Now, tell us a little bit about you know going over to Chicago, the 1993 season. You cut, you come off like like you just said, it's your career year, 16 and 11. Yeah, you pitched 224 innings, 179 strikeouts. You did a phenomenal job. Tell us a little bit about your your age 30 season with the Chicago Cubs in 1993. Well, uh, with Chicago was a, a new team, not only a new team, but also a different league for me. Uh, from American League to National League, now I had to go on and uh, step on the plate also. And from having a big year, I know it was a uh, lot of pressure and that was dependent on me a lot. Uh, that year also, uh, 
the number one pitcher, Greg Maddox, was uh, signed as a free agent for the uh, Atlanta Braves. So for me, uh, they came in and said, you're going to have to uh, step up and be number one. But as a pitcher and I've been able to play for a while already, you have to come on and just uh, try to put the number. If you think about what everybody was saying in and, and the media, that will put pressure on you. So you just have to go on and put your numbers up. Uh, that year, I lead the team in wins. Uh, but I had a great year like I did in '92. Uh, but uh, I put the number that they were expecting. I had a good year, and uh, I finished my career there. The only bad thing I can say was that I got hurt again there, and uh, I wasn't able to finish my full year that I was supposed to. Yeah. Now, now, what ends up happening is that uh, is that arm injury, shoulder, elbow. What uh, what led to your demise after uh, ni- kind of in the '94 season? Well, it was my shoulder. Again, it was a different thing, my shoulder. Uh, the only uh, thing I, I regret a little bit was because uh, I got hurt, and now uh, I never was able to get a second opinion. I always went with Dan. Uh, and it's how when you have a, a, a contract for four years, they guarantee and the team tells you you have to go to the team doctor. Uh, even if you have a one and get a second opinion, they say, no, but that's the team doctor. We give you the contract. That's who you have to go to now. Uh, I want to say, you know, there's no regrets about it, but he always made me think, how come I didn't have a second opinion? And after I had the surgery to the team doctor, I uh, really wasn't able to come back 100%. And uh, I didn't want to try to go to the mound at 80%, 70%. And I looked at and uh, not be me and I finished pitching in a way where people say, why this guy trying to pitch? Now you know as you end up going through, uh, you know, you obviously had you had a, uh, the shoulder surgery in '94 and stuff like that. Uh, were you impacted at all by the uh, the MLB player strike as far as your efforts and your, uh, your 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 ability to try to come back? Yeah, well, and you know what, that was the tough thing because uh, when we went to the strike, uh, that's when I had my surgery. Now when you have the strike, you cannot go to the ballpark, you cannot go to the trainer or the program that they have. So it's Pretty tough, but pretty much you and you arm. Uh, uh, if it was right now, I can tell you it would be a lot different. Now it's uh, can go to a different facility and they have uh, unbelievable training and uh, they can help you out. In, in the years that I played, they didn't have that. Really, you had to go to the training and have your own program. So I think that was one of the things that was uh, a little difficult, you know, uh, dealing with the strike where you really want to come back and play it and, and not being able to go and see your trainer and see where you are and I go to the ball, uh, ballpark and, and go pitch for you a pitching coach. So that, that really made it very hard. Yeah, now as you move forward, you, t- you, you pitch with the Chicago Cubs organization in, uh, what was it, 95, 96. You end up uh, with Seattle and a couple of years in the independent league. Did you ever hit a, a, a spot where you kind of felt like you were kind of back on your game to a point where you really felt like you were going to make a return in the major leagues? Well, uh, I tell you what, when I was uh, my first year, I played with uh, the forward cuts in forward. And uh, I, was pitching, uh, I was pitching pretty well, but also I was getting there in my age. And uh, even though I was pitching uh, well, I had my velocity was kind of come back. But when you go out and uh, it's different being in the independent league, they being minor leagues, and uh, where somebody can come on and watch you. So I decide, you know, even that I'm pitching well, I'm getting up, up there in my age. I think I was out for two years already. And it's very tough for being out for two years, three years, for some, someone to pick you up and put you straight to the major league. So 
my deal was after played so much in, in the major league and uh, even the last year I was feeling pretty well and pretty good. Uh, even if I was going to get signed, I know I wasn't going to be a major league contract. It was going to be pretty much another tryout. And what I mean was uh, maybe I could have been signed, but the contract for sure was going to be, well, go to minor leagues and see what you have. And next thing you know, you spend the whole year in minor leagues and you don't know what's going to happen, if they're going to bring you up or not. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to fish here for this year and, uh, and uh, make it over. Say that this is it. Yeah, now, once again, this is John Piala. I'm here with uh, former Major League pitcher Jose Guzman. Now, did, did you did you feel like your, your career was a success in your mind? Did you accomplish everything you want, or were you maybe hoping to get, you know, a couple more years in there? Well, you know, I, I don't have no regrets at all. I, I came in, I'm, I'm, I'm pitching the Major League when I was uh, 21, going 22. Uh, I had my great years. I had not three years. And uh, uh, I, never, I never regretted, you know, saying, well, I got hurt. I could have pitched longer. Uh, God gave me the talent to be able to to play in uh, in the major league. And it's, if you think about it, so many people they never make it. And I was one of the guys that was blessed, and I was able to pitch in the major league for a while. Uh, so that's why I have no regrets. Even that I got hurt, and uh, I could have never been hurt. I said, well, I pitched, I win 200 uh, 200 games, or I pitched for a lot longer. Well, at least I pitched for the years that I pitched, eight, ten years. And I was one of those guys that was blessed to play in, uh, to play in the many leagues. No, absolutely, you were, man. And uh, I tell you, you had nothing to be ashamed of. You, you, had, you had a good career for, you know, whatever, six or seven years. Uh, and it, it, had to, it had to be something special to be part of a major league rotation for that long. Listen, Jose, I want to thank you for having some time today. I appreciate you having a couple minutes. Hopefully I can get you on the show sometime in the near future, my friend. Well, anytime. I appreciate your opportunity for uh, let me uh, get in your, in your show. Oh, absolutely, man. Take care. All right, thank you. Yeah, it was Jose Guzman, former pitcher for the Rangers and Cubs. Now, if you're looking at a baseball reference, he pitched for the, the Rangers in 1985 through 1992. Uh, and like, like he told you before, he had some injuries, but uh, some very good seasons. I mean, he was, a, he was a, a, an essential staple in the team's rotation at 86, 87, and 88. Of course, coming back from the injury, he wins the comeback player of the year in 1991 and then wins 16 games in 1992. He, he gives you about five solid seasons as a major league starting pitcher. And uh, listen, uh, you know, the Rangers, some of those Ranger teams weren't very good. And, uh, you know, a lot of them managed by Bobby Valentine. Bobby Valentine replaced in the 1992 season after he took the job, I believe, in 85. And let me just uh, confirm that real quick. I. I want to make sure I'm always up on it. Yeah, Bobby Valentine took over 1985, the final, uh, what was it, 129 games of the season. So Jose Guzman pitched his uh, entire career up until 1992 where Valentine was let go during that season. And, of course, Bobby Valentine making some news today as SNY announcing that they have, uh, they've hired Mr. Valentine as a studio analyst this year. He's going to be uh, doing pre- and post-game. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if Bobby Ojeda is still going to be involved, but Ojeda did a phenomenal job over the last couple seasons. But, you know, it would be great to see the two and them in studio together. But uh, Bobby V looks like he's going to be uh, doing some uh, analyst work for the New York Mets. But uh, once again, thanks to uh, Jose Guzman. Great job. Um, I do want to finish this up, and I wanna, I'm going to give I'm going to I'm going to make this hour. We only got another seven minutes before we break four to five minute uh, second hour. I told you we got Tim Durkies from uh, 
uh, MLB trade rumors, and I'll go over the 31 MLB countdown, a couple other things on my mind, maybe even open up the phone lines to your calls. But I do want to finish this, my preview for the Mets, what I've been talking about. And uh, one thing that I've said, I mean, I, I am as diehard of a New York Mets fan as any, anybody can imagine. And one thing that I really feel proud of that I've been able to do with the past ball show is to balance it out. I haven't spent, I haven't gone on the air and just gone and rant and raved about the Mets. Because, listen, there's fans of 29 other teams that don't want to hear that shit. And the bottom line is, you want to hear baseball. So I, I do break down other teams. I know more about probably most people's favorite teams than they know. And that's why I love talking baseball. But I do want to finish up. I'm going to kind of give you my little preview because this is the last chance that I'm going to get to kind of preview any team, let alone my, my own favorite team, before the season starts. Next time I'm on the air, next Thursday, it will be April 4th, 5 to 7 p.m., Major League Baseball season would have started. It kicks off, obviously, Sunday night with the Rangers and the Astros, the first Houston Astro game uh, in the American League. And then, obviously, everybody's going to open up. The Mets will be home against San Diego on Monday, which I'll be in attendance for. And away we go. But um, what I'm, I'm really looking at here, and I guess the question would be, what would you really want to see as a Mets fan uh, for this season? Because let's be honest, I mean, coming into a season, and I know you could probably say the same for the first couple of years with Sandy Alderson as the general manager, uh, there, there hasn't been a ton of hope. Uh, I don't think anybody's sitting there thinking the New York Mets are going to win the World Series. They haven't said that since Omar Minaya was fired and Sandy Alderson took over. And that obviously doesn't mean that Alderson's doing a bad job. I think it, it, his uh, rating, how you want to judge him, is going to be based on what happens in the future with these prospects, the young players, and how this team turns out in the next year or two. But expectations are at an all-time low. I don't think anybody's expecting the Mets to be able to compete with teams like the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Washington Nationals. And, and it'll be crazy for anybody to say that. Anybody that goes out there and says that is a, just a homer. You just take, you're just drinking too much of your favorite team's Kool-Aid, and you're, you're just anticipating things that are probably unlikely to happen. And I told you before, I painted the perfect scenario of what I figured what would be the ultimate scenario for the New York Mets. It starts with their starting pitching. They're going to have to get less out of what they got. You know, uh, Johan Santana, Sean Markham, two guys that aren't going to start the season in a rotation. They'll be on the disabled list. And that being said, they're going to need to come and contribute and be major factors. I don't see another starting pitcher unless the Mets go outside the organization right now that's going to be able to than Dylan G or Jonathan Neese or Matt Harvey. The Mets have four and five st spots in a rotation you know, with Hefner out and with Markham out and with Santana out, you're looking probably at Colin McHugh getting a chance to spot that may go to Aaron Laffey. I mean, that's that, that's a little, that's almost a laughable thing. And Aaron Laffey uh, went out there. He did a pretty good job with the Toronto Blue Jays, made some starts in the second half of last season. But uh, you're not going to get that much out of your four and five starter right now. You hope it could be uh, in any type of order. But right now, the Mets starting rotation is not looking good. It's almost looking dire. And it has brought probably the discussion, and I'm sure everybody's talking about it, all the media outlets, your reporters, your beat writers, are all on, bring up Zach Wheeler, bring up Zach Wheeler. What do you got to lose? So bring up Zach Wheeler. It's just not going to happen, unfortunately. And, you know, as much as you may or may not like it, as, may, as much as, as a fan you may or may not want to hear it, Zach Wheeler will not be with the team in April. He probably won't be with the team in May. 
And I, honestly, the Mets are going to need probably more injuries. And it's, it's sad to say that because this is an organization over the last three, four years that probably could not have had any more injuries than they've had. But I cannot envision a scenario where Zach Wheeler will be part of this rotation for the first two months of the season. So that being said, where do you fill in for the guys that are injured? I mean, Henry Mejia was supposed to be a guy that was going to compete for a potential six-plus six starter type of guy, and he is not thrown for the next six weeks. So the Mets' options, where they are from within their own organization, are running a little tight. And the obvious answer is bring in Zach Wheeler, and that's not going to happen. So what you're looking at, what you would like to see, I think, is the Mets to go out there and get a fringe starting pitcher, a guy maybe that's been released or is being released from his contract, is not going to make a major league team, and just run him out there for a starts and just see what you get. And I know, I know Chris Young isn't the sexiest name out there. You know, Mets fans are like, hey, been there, done that. He's been on our team. Our team stinks. He was part of it. Chris Young didn't pitch that bad last year. You know, an ERA a little above four. There were some games that he got hit up pretty hard. Four record, I think, is a little overrated. We were looking at it a little too much, looking at his 4-9 record and saying this guy stinks. He's a serviceable pitcher. He is a number five starter. And he's a guy that knows how to pitch. He's a veteran. He goes out there. He knows how to work, how to, how to work his stuff to his advantage, work his weaknesses, and is a very good influence in the clubhouse when you're talking about younger pitchers. And obviously, by saying younger, no pun intended. But we're, you're looking at a, a guy that could come here, make four to six starts. You know, if, if you don't need him anymore, yes, you cross that bridge when you get there. But you get there and fill the role of a fifth starter, especially when you have no Santana, you have no Markham, and you have no Jeremy Hefner. Now listen, Jeremy Hefner could be back within a week or two. So that, that's not a long-term situation. You don't know what's going to go on with Markham. And I think I think when, he, when he's going to see the doctors always fearing the worst and man would it be just a terrible thing if you end up losing him for the entire season but you don't know that yet Santana he's not even really in a throwing program so I think the Mets need to go out there bring themselves a starting pitcher in some way shape or form but listen once again I want to thank Jason Bergman Jose Guzman for being part of the first hour of the passball show on the MTR radio network uh, we're going to break be back in about five minutes thanks